Welcome to Kashrus on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show is going to prove as diverse as all the others have been recently, because so much is happening at once. It's just really hard to concentrate on all of the details of what's in front of us just to do cover tonight. I think one of the most interesting things that came up, and I think I'll start with this, is that this week uh, they finally shelved the COSEL program. The, the attempt was uh, the new government, and uh, backed by the, cons- the conservative reform Jews from America, uh, the idea of dividing the COSEL as we know it into two parts, one orthodox and one conservative reform. And there would be a joint entrance to the whole, uh, the, the whole uh, area in front of the co-cell. The whole co-cell area would be, you'd have to walk through a, uh, a walkway and choose to go orthodox or conservative reform. No longer would, would orthodox be the, the, uh, the way of praying at the co-cell, but now you would be offered a choice every time you went. And who knows what else they had planned in mind. Uh, it, it was uh, unbelievable, and thank God, because of pressures, the government backed down. It's going to cause them a lot of trouble because they had promised a uh, number of people who were in the government that there were certain things that had to be done, that, that the radical leftists of, among the different parties had to have their share of the spoils. And this was it. They were going to give them a lot of religious spoils. They're going to give them their, they're going to try to take away the from the rabbinate, the kashras, they're trying to take away from the rabbinate, the gayris, the conversions, they're take, trying to take away from the rabbit, the ability to require uh, that they control marriages. They want to open up things on Shabbos. They want to get things rolling on Shabbos. Uh, uh, terrible things are planned. And we don't even know the extent of it because it was never publicized originally, although uh, Matan Kahana let out some of the things out of the bag early in the game. It frustrates me no end that we didn't have a united front to oppose this all the time. But it seems that somehow the Kosel, the the Kedush of the Kosel, is going to be preserved. Why it happened, how it happened, I don't know the details. But obviously, they realized that they went too far. And the Kosel was being protected by higher authorities in Shemaya. And this is the way it came down. What it does for the coalition, I have no idea. But thank God it happened. And uh, it's not enough. Personally, it's not enough. There was an article in Hamodia magazine called um, the news magazine Prime in this past week. And I want to read to you a few paragraphs at, at the end because this is something that's personally close to my heart. And when we're talking about the Kashrus reforms, and they are reforms, meaning like reform, yes, reform and conservative rabbis will be able to give Kashrus in Israel under the new administration. That's correct. And there will be conservative reform. And there is conservative reform in America, too. There are even Vadim that are conservative. Uh, 
There are there are people who are technically, um, you know, hundred percent not orthodox, not acceptably kosher in practice indeed, and still they're giving kosher supervision or certification or call it which you approval, whatever you want to call it. And this is what's going on in America. And who would have ever thought this would happen in Eretz Israel when the Rabbanut had a very solid control? Part of what happened is that there was a breakdown in the Rabbanut, in administering administration of the Hashkacha. Uh, things did not go well, and the PR was very, very negative. And they caught one person, supposedly, I cannot say it's true, accepting a bribe. And that one person was a major person in the in the Kashrus department, not a big, not one of the chief rabbis, but somebody they caught was high up in the in the game, and they caught him taking bribes, according to their reports. I don't know if it was true or not. I don't know if it was it was planted. It was faked. I have no idea. But the point is that they had enough reasons to go after the Rabbanut, and they built it up over years and years. I still remember. It was over 20 years ago when I met Rafi Yochai, who was, I call him my counterpart, but he's not really. He works for the government and he does the, the unauthorized, uh, uh, kosher, the unauthorized use of a kosher symbol part because the, uh, and t- he takes things that off the shelf and says, has this really got our approval for import? Does this have our proper hashkacha? Let's check into it and see if we give hashkacha to this and whether the, the rabbis who are on here also, let's say, uh, the badats of the Yedachareides or somebody else, Rabbi Rubin, Rechover, whoever else it is, you know, the, the different organizations, whether they actually certify this too. And many, many, many times they found problems. I tell you the truth, I spoke to Rafi Yochai. I'm afraid, I'm afraid even to say this story, but since it's over 20 years, I think uh, everyone will forgive me for saying this story. That's true. I met with him in his office, and he told me the following. I said, how come, you know, he said to me, I can take off the shelf 20 or 30 products any time, any day, and find five, six, seven of them were, uh, were imported without our permission. Even though it puts on there, Israel, they write it on there, and it's not true. And, and he, he, so I said, why don't you take them all? You know, why don't you just go on through the whole store? He says, I can't. It's just too much. The per- people can't handle it. I have to do it slowly, 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 and that's what he did. And uh, and he did a wonderful job. No question, the man definitely, you know, kept a very tight ship. And uh, did a lot for the for the Rabbanut. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough. And uh, some some bunch of years ago, certain certain uh, certain restaurants decided to break with the Rabbanut, and they started getting a fake uh, another hashkacha that was doing making everything easy for them. As you'll see tonight again, I'm going to quote something. You'll see it's clear as a bell that these other organizations are not towing the line. And now they're going to be able to offer kosher certification in place of the Rabbanut. It used to have to be with the Rabbanut in addition, but now they can replace the Rabbanut. So we're going to see a very interesting change, and I'm going to discuss that more at length a little bit later. But I'm just going to read to you a few lines, because this is something that's very close to my heart. It's, where are 
we, you and me, where are we while all of this is going on? Where have we been? And I don't mean just you and I. I mean all of the organizations, the orthodox organizations in America. Where are we? How come we don't hear a thing about protests? We do not see letters to the, to the government of Israel's officials. We do not sign letters of complaint put together. Yes, if there's a case in Washington, if there's, a, if there's money to be given to the yeshivas, everybody's on board. If they're attacking the yeshivas in New York, everybody's on board. And we have plenty of different activities we all participated in. And many, many things that we participate in this country, our, our, our organizations get very involved in uh, cases that, uh, that, are, that, are, that are suing uh, the government. They're not our religion. They're other religions, and we support them in order to get changes and validation of, of some of our ideals here in America. It's what we should do, perhaps. But where are we on the case of Eretz Israel? Where have we been these six months where they've been attacking the Rabbanut, tearing it apart piece by piece? They attacked the chief rabbis recently, calling them all kinds of names, threatening them that they shouldn't speak out, they shouldn't protest any of the things that they were doing to take away their powers. And this is what's going on in Israel. In Israel, there are protests. Yes, there are real things being done. I mentioned last week that the, the, the Haredim joined together with the more modern group called the, uh, the Religious Zionists, and they're working together. Seventeen Religious Zionist rabbis, including the big ones, signed on together to work together with the, with the, uh, the Haredi powers that are in the, in the government and try to be able to get some changes. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. But where are we? How come we can't work together with all of the orthodox groups? How come we don't have an organization, a, unite, a unity, when it comes to something like this? Oh yes, everybody came together about the New York uh, yeshiva situation with the, the English department, and they should. But where are we when it comes to tearing apart the rabbinic control in Eretz Israel, when it is destroying the very fabric of what it means to be a Jew in Israel. Let me read to you a few lines from Hamodia magazine, December 8th, 2021, prime, page 38. Essentially, all of these religious reforms are done in your name. That means my name and your name. So, because they're done for diaspora Jewry. Hey, I'm diaspora Jewry. I live out of Israel. Aren't I dis- diaspora Jewry? Is diaspora Jewry only the reform and conservatives? That's what they think in Israel. They think that we're so small that we don't really count. And we do count. Among the Jewish people, we prob- Orthodox is probably a fifth, 20%. In Israel, I don't know if it's 20% of the Orthodox, but it's certainly something like that, uh, maybe more. And in, in Israel, I think 13% are Haredi. But we have a big number here too. We're millions. We're over a million for sure. And, and it, it, there's going to be five, six million Jews in America, not much more. So we really are about 
that's orthodox. How come diaspora Jewry does not include us? How come we don't say we are diaspora Jewry? We're the ones who care about Yiddishkeit. We're the ones who move to Eretz Israel. We're the ones who visit our relatives in Eretz Israel. We go there for Simchas. Who, who, is, who is better Jew for Israel than us? Why are we not diaspora Jewry? I'm going to read to you a few lines. The Frum community needs to stand up and say, we are the diaspora jury too. There are actually more of us than the Reform, and we do not want to change the nature of the Jewish state, and they don't speak in our name. Practically speaking, there is a lot that each individual can do. First of all, they need to educate themselves. That's us. We have to educate ourselves. To stay abreast of developments because we are at a critical juncture when there is a danger that Israel will lose its Jewish identity. You think I'm kidding, but it's not, it is real. They could lose the Jewish identity very, very easily. If they control Geras because they want to convert a half a million non-Jews who, who supposedly are related to or came from Jews, but from mixed marriages, so they... They want to say that, the, that, we, that we have a right to go out and try to convert them openly, like to try to push the conversion of these people and do it quickie, quickie jobs. Not, not too uh, intense, very quick jobs, easy jobs. Terrible, terrible what they plan. So we could, uh, he says, um, first of all, they need to educate themselves to stay abreast of developments because we're at a critical juncture when there is a danger that Israel will lose its Jewish identity. We think of Israel as a Jewish state, but that Jewish nature is falling apart. Second, this needs to become the hot item in the community. Hot item. I'm probably one of the few people who's talking about it. Discuss it with your friends. Hold a parlor meeting or bring a speaker to your community. Third, you can absolutely write letters, both to Bennett and to Kahana. Now, I don't know how to get the numbers and the addresses, but I think we're going to, I'm going to try to get it. Maybe I'll be able to give it to you. But if not, you don't need me. You go ahead and do it yourself. Find out how to reach Kahana. That's Matan Kahana. And how to reach Bennett. Speak out. Write op-eds. We need to put the, up the pressure. If you have Israeli friends, talk to them. Now, the next thing is very important. And we need to support organizations like Am Echod. Am Echod is a good as Israel's organization that does something here, which is taking the voice of the Frum community to the government. Okay, but they shouldn't be doing it alone. And we should be inspiring all Orthodox groups to join together as one unit. On some things we have to agree. Now, so... Uh, this is what this writer is suggesting to us, and you can read the article, Straight Talk, Reform's Siege of the Wall. Okay, we got the wall back, but we didn't get the other parts. The, the, the Kashrus is probably lost, and I'm going to discuss that a little bit at length tonight, but I got so much stuff. I tried to do it, squeeze as much as I can in. But the rest of it, the Geirus, the Chilu Shabbos that's planned, it's unreal what this, these people are trying to do. They want to take it back and finish off the job when Begurian was in control and wanted to do it, but was frightened because of the Haredi people. 
And now they want to just bypass us and go and do everything that he was trying to do years and years ago. They wanted to be, become a state that is not necessarily tied to the traditional Jewish religion. Maybe a Jewish flavor, the Hora, maybe, you know, some songs, Hatikva, but not necessarily a real Jewish quality. I'll tell you a story. I know, I'm, I'm just sidetracking here, but I, I can't let go. In Israel, every Jew reads the paper, and it's called, on, on Monday, it's called Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, and then Friday is Yom Shishi. And forever and ever and ever, all the people on the radio, and I don't want to mention the other, the vision that we're talking about, right? I'm not going to mention vision. But and on the internet, which we don't even talk about either, the people always said, Shabbat Shalom on Friday. Now, some of them say, have a pleasant weekend. Shabbat is, no, is being replaced by weekend. This is a bad sign, very bad sign. So let me share with you a little bit uh, from a, a, a two actually two things we want to talk about on this area. We're talking now from an article that is written it's called "Ousted from Power: Israel's." ultra-Orthodox lose the final word on what's kosher. <laughs> they kicked us out. Ousted from power, Israel's ultra-Orthodox lose the final word on what's kosher. We're going to have reform kashras in Israel. Reform. So they interview a woman who is an American who is now a mashkicha for Tzohar. And may show her all her, what she's doing. Listen to this quote from this article by Steve Hendricks. But for some religious Israelis, I'm not going to mention her name, her careful pondering of a can of Italian artichokes is to be denounced as an existential threat. Neither she nor her bosses at Sohar, a pluralistic Jewish organization. Sohar pride itself on being pluralistic. Now, it's not really, really pluralistic. I don't think there's any reform or conservatives in there. I don't really think there are. But pluralistic means they're open to it. Like the open orthodox are open to the conservative reform. And they join, do doing things with them. They do say on the website at Sohar that they're pluralistic. And that's called a pluralistic Jewish organization she just, her bosses that so are, and she do not belong to the ultra-Orthodox community that has held the monopoly of the official system of kosher certification for decades. In other words, they ripped away, they, they're planning to rip away from the ultra-Orthodox kashras. Israel's new governing coalition, one of the few not to include ultra-Orthodox parties in the last 45 years, has moved to loosen the ultra-Orthodox grip on food certification and a raft of other religious and social practices, listen to this, 
ranging from bans on Shabbos transit, means that's one of their goals, to open the buses, to open the light railways on Shabbos in Israel. That's one of the goals of the new government. To exemptions for ultra-Orthodox men from military service. Well, they've been fighting about that for years, whether, whether, whether you can go to yeshiva or go to, you have to go to the army. And that's an issue you know, of a different nature. We're not going there. But they want to do away with the ban on, on inter-city inter travel and, uh, and outlawing the buses and the light rails. They want to break that? Unbelievable. Men with yarmulkes, or the kippot, sorry, but, but the men with the yarmulkes wanting to break the laws of Shabbos? Open it up because people are frustrated? Unbelievable. Unbelievable what's going on. Another quote from the same article. New regulations have already cut child care subsidies for the children of religious scholars. That means B'nai Torah, people learning in yeshiva. Almost half of all ultra-Orthodox men opt for full-time study in religious schools. This is considered disgusting in Israel. Known as yeshivas instead of employment and their families have grown dependent on these government subsidies. Well, I got news for you. They're gonna, we're gonna, it, Torah's going to exist in Israel with zero dollars coming in. How? I don't know, but I, I can tell you it's going to happen. No matter what they do, you're not going to have masses of people giving up on Torah. It, we're, somehow we're going to come up with the money. HaKadosh Baruch is going to give it to us one way or the other. I don't know how, don't ask me, but I'm telling you it's not going to happen. They're not going to be able to do that. But that's what they want. They want to draw us away from learning Torah, go into the work world, where they control the action. They don't want us learning Torah. And that is an, a go, one of the goals of the new government in Israel. And they, they, this is, they have already cut child care subsidies for the children of religious scholars. This is to be proud that they took out of the mouths of little children the extra dollars for food. That's something to be proud of. In, a unique, in its unique moment, said, I'm not going to mention his name, because I can't bring myself to mention his name. An expert, this is the, the man is called an expert, in ultra-Orthodox issues at the Israel De Demo Democracy Institute, the IDI, I've talked about IDI, they were doing research studies and proving exactly what they want to believe. And they have an expert on ultra-Orthodox issues. But listen to what he said. There's a quote from him. I'm not mentioning his name. It just shows how much easier it is to do these reforms when the Haredim are not there to block them. In other words, this is what we got to do. We have to ride on Shabbos in buses and trains. We have to take away food from little children. We have to rip away kashras from the rabbinate. We have to open up conversion in a fast manner that uh, is suitable to everyone who's thinking about converting. Convince them to convert. They want to advertise to convert in Israel. That's, it's a whole way of life that's supposed to change. And, this is, and the, the so-called Israel Democracy Institute has this specialist who is pointing out that we can do things better now that they're out of power.
Mm. Next. By the way, a little aside that's very interesting, uh, you should know, an estimated two-thirds of Jewish Israelis keep kosher to some degree. I'll, I'll leave the some degree out and just say that two-thirds of Israelis keep kosher, which I don't think is something to get excited about, but it certainly beats what's going on in America. By the end of 2022, endorsements from Sohar and other groups will carry the same weight as the, Rab- as the Rabbanut. In other words, the kosher transference is going to be taking place before the end of 2022. So we have a few more months to breathe. Ultra-Orthodox lawmakers fought fiercely to derail the changes, the change, offering more than a thousand amendments during parliamentary debate. I did not know this. What they, the Orthodox groups, the, uh, the, the Haredim, spent the time and offered a thousand amendments. This is not an exaggeration. I've done a mistake in print. A thousand amendments. You know what it takes time to write up a thousand amendments and to try to push them through? The amount of effort that they tried? I did not know all of this. I did not know how hard they were working. And all that time, nothing was going on in America. Nothing was being printed, nothing was being done, no meetings, no this, no calls, no no special programs, nothing at all. We have a parlor meeting for everything, and every little claim account we have a parlor meeting for. Where in the world were we when this was going on in the very beginning? And, and I, by the way, have written to many people and asked them to join together to do this, but I'm getting nowhere. But look look what happened in this short span of time. They did away, and I don't know if you know all the things that happened. Yes, there was a lot of Chil Shabbos recently, but I'm not going to get into that one. And they did take away the subsidies for the for the for, for people who are learning Torah. It was take it just take ripped away like that. And, and how did they do it? I'll tell you how they did it. They did it by saying that if you don't have two working people, then you can't get this money. So the wife was working, the husband is learning, and is getting a colil check or whatever. It's not working. Therefore, you cannot have the money. You have to have two working people. That's how they got it. And that was the intent. And that's who they wanted. They knew who they wanted to take it away from. But this is, um, it's, it's just amazing, uh, you know, uh, what's happening there. Let's just take a, a one small little snippet out of this article. They have so much in here, it's, it's amazing. But I talked about this, but the, I didn't get these exact quotes. They're beautiful. The changes would also ease the burden on entrepreneurs. And that means the owners of the restaurants. Last year, for instance, the owner of Jerusalem Kalo Cafe was told that his Palestinian cook, and I talked about this on the radio, his Palestinian cook could no longer use an induction cooktop because it's, it's actually Bishul Akum. Palestinian is a goy. And he using an induction cooktop, which is like turning it on the fire, which heats up automatically when the pot touches the surface. So he is creating the heat because the inspector, that's the mashkiach, ruled that this violated the religious prohibition of non-Jews lighting a stove. This, this writer is trying to make fun of what a Pashat Halacha called Bishal Akam is all about. And this quote is unreal. This is why this restaurant owner dropped 
the Rabbanut and went to Tzohar, who doesn't bother him about the induction cooktop from this Goy. From this Goy, this Palestinian is doing cooking under Tzohar on the induction cooktop with some kind of heter, I don't know what it is. And listen to this quote. I switched, said Yaakov ben Elul, that's his name, the owner of the restaurant, pointing to the Tzohar certificate now on his wall and to the Palestinian cook working under it. In other words, the cook is using that oven. We didn't have to get rid of the oven, we got rid of the rabbi. And this is what the quote says. Mustafa has been with me for 32 years. And since he's been with him for 32 years, how can we make him, when I bought a new oven, I shouldn't make him a shmata. He was with me for 32 years. Where's our respect for the non-Jew? Where is the halacha? Where is kashras in your restaurant? What have we done to the land of Israel, Torah, and mitzvahs? I don't, I don't want to quote your chazals that it, what goes on Eretz Israel is so Kodesh. Thank God we saved the Kosel at the, for the present time, at least partially, because they still have a place where they daven, where they pray. But still, it, it, the, the main Kosel Plaza is still under Orthodox control. And they also <laughs> they wanted to put in conservative reform people, rabbis or whatever, women rabbis, whatever, to be part of the administration of the, the Kosel. Oh, it's, it was wild. Thank God they, it has been tabled for the... It seems like it's going to be tabled f- completely that this, this government will not try to do it again. They just got too much flack. But they could have gotten flack on the Rabbanut's Hashkacha. Now, they had been promoting that Sohar does... Mashkiach Tamidi, they work in the, in the restaurant. And that's the difference between them and the Rabbanut. They have been promoting that that's what they do. And you can see the material, you go online, you'll see that. They claim that we put in people and they work there. They don't just come to visit. Now I'm quoting, I'm quoting from this article and talking about this woman who works for Zohar in this particular place. It says, at the boutique food shop in Ranana, this woman, a transplanted New Yorker with a pleasant demeanor and boisterous laugh, who is, as an observant Jew, covers her hair with a scarf, a beret, or a wig in public, was wrapping up her inspection. She's wrapping up her inspection. She checks the store three times a week. She doesn't come every day. She's not working there three times a week. Is that, is that less than the Rabbanut would do? Or more? I don't think it's more. I think it's less. But this, they promote it as full-time mashkichen, or mashkichot. That's part of that story. I just add another small piece to it. Her next stop was a restaurant in a nearby high-tech office park. She opened bags of rice in the kitchen, scanning them for tiny insects that would violate Jewish law. It doesn't say she inspected the rice. She opened them, scanning them 
for tiny insects that would violate Jewish law. I don't know the procedures that they do. I really doubt that they're as involved with the Tsohar as the OU, the OK, the KFK, the Star-K in America. And I doubt that they're stronger than the Rabbanut in Eretz Israel because in everything else they seem to be less demanding. Um, I just, I just uh, end with a quote from one of the restaurant owners. I'm not going to give you the whole piece here. It says, it's fine. I mean, look, this is what this restaurant owner says. For most people, kosher is kosher, which means they don't bother me that I put the Sohar sign up and I don't have the rubber note. For most people, you call it kosher, it's kosher. But it isn't. It isn't necessarily the same. Since I went that far into that story, I, I think I should do one more thing here. I'm going to read to you from Rabbi Mordechai Kuber. Now, I don't agree with everything he says here, but I'm trying to be fair and honest, and I try to bring you all the sides. Rabbi Kuber is a top-notch person. He worked in the States for the OU. He works in, in Israel for the OU. He learned in, in Kolel of Otis Halevi from 1982 to 1991. He lives in Telstone. Uh, he worked for 28 years in the U.S. in Eretz Israel and the Far East. And uh, he, he's, he's, a, he's a writer also. He's very, very good. But I'm going to read to you just a few words from his thing. Now, he, his, his theory is that it's good that we're dropping the rabbinate. Because he feels he's on the other side. He's not like the people who want to destroy it because they want to lessen the standards and, and, and be able to sneak in there and get their ashkachas uh, away from the Rabbanot, etc., etc. He's working from the premise that the Rabbanot is not good enough and he wants to have a higher standard. He works with the OU and Eretz Israel and he wants a higher standard um, in the restaurants, and in the hotels than is presently there. He wants full-time mashkichem, whatever it's going to cost. It could cost a lot of money, but he wants full-time mashkichem. He wants other things. And what's happened until now is that he felt it was a problem because putting in more mashkacha was asking them to pay double because they had to pay the rabbanot because the rabbanot had to be on everything. So the Rabbanon had to send somebody a certain amount of time and had to get paid for that effort. So the Rabbanon did take money. And then he had to put on somebody, if, if they want to take full-time mashkiach, he had to put somebody else in for full-time mashkiach. So it was this, the uh, restaurant or the hotel was paying a fortune for this higher hashkacha that he is offering. And, and therefore he felt frustrated and he looks forward to the time that the Rabbanut won't be there, won't be running the show. But not because he thinks that, uh, that the fakers and this and that. This is because we have, in some ways, we have higher standards. And a lot of the tourists are coming from other countries where they have higher standards, or at least from America. I don't know if Europe has higher standards, but certainly in America, you can have higher standards. The OU, for example, in America. I know it's strange to say it because it's just not done by everybody else. Mashkir Timidi in anything that's serving the public, whether it's a bakery, a restaurant, 
everything has to have a mashkiach to be that's there all the time. You cannot open up the kitchen. You cannot do work in the kitchen. You cannot touch food until the mashkiach shows up. And I love to tell the story. When I was a kid, I was still a kid. I was learning in, 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 in uh, I was learning in yeshiva in New Rochelle, and they opened up a hot dog stand, which had OU Ashkocha, and obviously glad kosher hot dogs sitting there right there near right near the yeshiva, a few few blocks away, and we go over there to get something to to eat, and I came one time and said we can't we can't feed you, we can't give you anything. So why not? He said because the Mashiach didn't come. Mashkiach lives in New York, and you're out in Westchester here, and he couldn't come yet. He's, he's late, and we cannot open up anything until he shows up. And this was like when I was a kid, you understand? And that's the way they've been doing it all the years. So yes, that beats out what, the, what they do in the Rabbanut and Israel in some ways. But the Rabbanut has very strong stands on other things. And definitely with the, with, the, uh, t- with the conversions, it was very important that they, were, they, were, that they controlled it. And the chief rabbis are real big chief rabbis. But Israel is big. It's got a lot of products. It's got a lot of, a lot of work. And it's very hard to be in all those places at once. We have, remember, two-thirds of Israel is keeping kosher. And in America, uh, let's say 20% keep kosher. 20% of the Jews keep kosher. Maybe. Maybe a drop more. Not much more. Conservatives down to 17% much of years ago. Now maybe less. Reform, zero. So how much do we have kosher? Forget about uh, Arabs who want to eat kosher and, and, and uh, you know, other people eating kosher because uh, it tastes good, it looks good, I think it's safer. No, but the, the people who keep kosher, not that much. There are more people keeping kosher in Israel and are keeping kosher in America, by far. The amount of products that come out kosher in America are about equal with the amount of products that come out kosher in Israel. But in Israel, you're getting much more usage, and you have more restaurants and more hotels that are kosher than we have in America. And uh, so uh, it, it, it's been a big job that the rabbinate did, and they did a pretty good job considering everything. I don't think we're going to have better. But uh, the article, I'm not going to have time to go through it, but it's a, it's a very, very uh, interesting article. Uh, it's called Israeli Kashrus Under Assault. You can get this if you just download it. You just say that on the, uh, on the search engine, you'll get it right away. Israeli Kashrus, with an S, Under Assault by Rabbi Mordechai Kuber. It's a wonderful article. And he, he does talk about how the other side, how the p- people who don't know what kosher is all about, they're going to be messed up seriously. He talks about that side, but he puts out, and that's why I'm bringing it to you, he put out the other side too, that uh, in, in a certain sense, that, uh, you know, it, at least in a certain sense, uh, in his way of working, it, he has a better shot at it now than he had uh, than he, than he had. Before, when the Rabbanda is there, uh, he has a better shot now of making things more kosher. Let me share with you the next piece. And I know the time is going fast. I don't really have any way of finishing it up. But I want to share with you this. Last week, I made a very big faux pas. 
I've made a very, 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 very big mistake. I quoted a woman who said, a young lady, 23 years old, I, and it was written in an article, so that, that's certainly valid, isn't it? And it said over there that in Harvard University, where there's definitely a high a number of Jews, only 20 people keep kosher. I said that on the air, and I was wrong, and I'm admitting it now. I was very probably wrong. I mean, again, she said it, but I shouldn't have quoted that. So this week, I'm going to quote from the Harvard Crimson, which is the newspaper from Harvard, and it's going to show my mistake. There's a gentleman by the name of David E.B. Schoenberg. They call him Davy. He's, um, he, he's, he's graduating, I think, in 22. He came on the campus in 2016, and he's been complaining about the lack of kosher food in Harvard. And the Harvard Crimson, now they know better than I do. So when I said 20, 20 people keep kosher, that's a ridiculous number. Even though it was a quote. I'm sorry about it. But Schomburg said, I mean, sorry, the Crimson, the Harvard Crimson said, there's roughly 40 students in Harvard that keep kosher. 40 students in Harvard. I did my homework. I, I didn't bring it to the table, so I don't have it here right in front of me. So I'll do it by, by memory. There's about, um, don't hold me to it now, about 20,000 people in Harvard, maybe it's undergrad, I'm not sure. Maybe it's grad and undergrad. And about 4,600, because I got the number right, 4,600 are Jews. Again, over 20,000 people there, students. 4,600 are Jewish. How did I get that number? Because they quote the percentage of Jews in here. Hillel quotes the percentage of Jews in Harvard. And based on that, with my little calculator, I got 4,600 Jews in Harvard. 40 keep kosher. Do you know what that number is? I'm sorry, I don't have my numbers right in front of me. It's 0.869. That means less than 1%. 0.869%. Less than 1% of the Jews who are in Harvard keep kosher. That's from the Harvard Crimson. Less than 1% of the Jews keep kosher. So when I, when I saw that number, I went crazy. I said to myself, that means that Jews who go to Harvard could sit all day and not see a Jew keeps kosher. Somebody told me he was in, an, in, a, in a certain uh, college. I'm not going to tell you the name of the college. I don't want to start anybody saying it against anybody. And he had a roommate. His roommate was Jewish, but didn't observe anything. And this person was religious, and he prayed in the Hidavan every day, and he put on tefillin. And he had did it in, the, in his room because there was no minion on the, on the campus. So he davened a little, how much did he daven? A couple of minutes, every time, half an hour, 20 minutes, whatever, we davened, he davened and put his tefillin on. And, his, and, and he leaved the tefillin on the dresser. His roommate said, I am requiring you 
to put the tefillin away. I do not want to see the tefillin. It bothers me to see tefillin. So that's the boy that he's living with. But you think in the course of a day, you could meet somebody who's kosher, who's Shabbos observant, who once went to yeshiva before they went to Harvard or whatever college. In Harvard, I'm not saying it's typical, you have to study it. It's, it's one of the top 60 uh, Jewish uh, 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 percentages of Jews in colleges in the United States. It's in the top 60 that Hillel has. And yes, it has a significant number. There's over 4,600 Jews, but only 40 keep kosher. I wish I had the time to read this to you, but the time is really going fast. A little bit I'm going to be able to do, and then I'm not going to be able to finish it. So please be Michael me. I'll give you the name of the article. Anybody who wants to look that up, it's not hard. Functionally Food Insecurity. Functionally Food Insecurity. Harvard students decades-long push for hot kosher lunch. It's taken them decades, that's tens of years, to get a hot lunch. They're getting ripped off over there. If I had the time to read it to you, but I don't have the time to read everything, they, would, they pay $7,236 for an unlimited meal plan. Otherwise, they don't get any food. They, for that $7,236 each one of these students has to pay, they cannot get a hot, they, till now they could not get a hot lunch. They're setting it up now on a trial basis. Remember, there's only 40 students to keep kosher. So I don't know how many people are going to end up using it. Maybe not enough to keep it going. And at $7,236 and they can't get a decent meal, kosher, one meal a day they get kosher. The rest of the time they have to I don't want to say what they do. We talked about it last week, and some of the things are kosher and some are not so kosher. And it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing. I study what goes on in BU and in Cornell, and I'll, maybe if I have time, I'll tell you about those things. But really, very, very hard to get kosher in Harvard until just, just, just this last couple of weeks. This is just, uh, this is all hot off the press. Because it didn't start, the program with the, the, the hot lunches didn't start until now. And the hot lunches is one item. And if, and if you don't like that, tough luck. <laughs> you don't have any choice. There's only one entree. That's it. You like it, you don't like it. You like chicken this way, you like chicken that way. You're going to get one thing, and that's it. No two choices. Absolutely not. With 40 students, bonus show them, and even they're not going to show up every day for this thing. It seems that, that I don't know, I don't want to go through the whole business, but... I'll share with you some of the frustrating points. And these are frustrating. So I'm doing this, I'll tell you what I'm doing it for. I want you to understand that it isn't a, j- a game to send a kid to, to, to college, an out-of-town college. You've got to research it like crazy, and, you could be, and the kid could be sitting there and not see another, quote, orthodox, end quote, kosher, end quote, Jew the course of a week. Maybe unless he's sitting at the meal and with some people they're eating there together, the 40 people. But on the day-to-day, going to classes, sleeping in the, in the, uh, in the roommate, rooming with roommates, he may not have a similar person, or she may not have a similar person that they see at all. And you know and I know that when people get married, they end up marrying people 
to who, whom they've been associating with. And that's enough said. Uh, Danny Passau, Rabbi Daniel Danny Passau, he's the Orthodox rabbi for the Harvard Hillel. He recalls one vegetarian kosher person who lost 15, bound, 15 pounds due to the lack of his access to kosher food. That guy was starving. He lost 15 pounds. That's on the was not a weight loss diet. He was looking for food. It's pathetic. This is a real, a real story. The, the rabbi's telling it. They go on and they talk about. Uh, I, I just it's upsetting. A lot of the people were reporting about how they had other limitations. Let's say they can't eat. They had doctor. They had medical things that they couldn't eat this. They couldn't eat that, and they had to keep kosher. And the suffering that they had, and they have, even till today, even with the new program, it's kind of impossible. And now I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a quote. You can, you can tell everybody about this quote. Uh, it, it's, it's a very strong quote. I was like, no, that's not the quote. Where is it? Basically, I have, if I'll find it. I'll find it. If I don't find it, I'll just tell you orally what it is. Basically, the quote was, the people in the college told the student um, that you've got to make a choice between your medical situation and your keeping kosher. Here it is. The student said they, that they felt the AEO, that's the, some, something or other on the campus there, I don't, uh, yeah, the Accessible Education Office, the AEO discriminated against them because they keep, they, kept, they keep kosher, alleging that the AEO officer told them, listen to this quote, that they had to choose between keeping kosher and accommodating their medical restrictions. It's your choice. Oh, to a young person who's basically starving on the college campus, and they put that that nisayan in front of them. You either keep kosher or you take care of yourself. I can't even finish this. It's just upsetting me too much. And the Boston you thing, it's sad. Because they, they're, they're really ripping everybody off. I'm, I'm quoting from Hillel. Actually, I don't know if it's from Hillel or, or their own website. It basically says, our dining hall features two open-air display kitchens, meat and vegan. The highest quality food is served, and it is under strict supervision. The menu is unique blend of traditional Jewish foods, innovative concepts, display cooking, da-da-da-da-da-da. And it says that our award-winning kosher dining program is open for lunch, Monday to Saturday. Yeah, the open on Saturday, from 11.30 to 2 p.m. Dinner is only served Monday to Saturday from 5 to 7, and you can get another something other than BU's uh, dining hall. But uh, listen to the rest of it. BU's Hillel offers multiple egalitarian and traditional Friday night Shabbos services followed by Shabbat dinner. Doesn't sound like I have a minion 
at all, and they definitely don't have a minion in the morning. Sort of kind of pathetic. That's not a place to choose. On Cornell, you could get star K hashgacha from A to Z. And that's a real hashgacha. Uh, one time it was under the OU, the Cornell. It's serious and there's minyanum galore. C- Cornell, a person could exist. But Harvard? Forget it. Enough with this business about these colleges. <laughs> and with the, with the situation in there in Israel, my goodness, what's enough of that. Let's just talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening right around us today in the few minutes that I have remaining. There's big problems in the meat business. I'm going to share with you one thing that I wrote up and... It's about a product called Kadosh, appropriate, right? Kadosh, kosher Wagyu brand beef being sold in a store down in Florida near Miami, just out of Miami. And it seems that they're repackaging over there. And some of the Kadosh, the, some of the Kadosh is under the Star K, and some of Kadosh is not under Star K. And there's a question that they're being sold together. And um, not so sure what's happening. Star K removed Hashgacha. The whole Kadosh is not Kadosh anymore. It is no longer under Hashgacha. Kadosh is out. That's one place. Now I'm reading from a letter from North Miami Beach area. I think you should hear this letter. We wish to alert our readers about a packaging issue regarding Shor Habor poultry. Shor Habor is Lubavitch poultry. This was found at the new... NMB Publix, but it's likely in any store in which the product is being sold. Normally, the chicken comes on a styrofoam tray and wrapped in a pre-printed plastic wrap. Some packages were found wrapped in plain, clear plastic bearing a 2 by 3 colored Shore Habor label, as well as the store's own plain label, with a with white, a white label with pricing, some packages bore only the store's white processing label. After extensive conversations with an investigation by the head of the OU Meat Department in New York, the following was determined. Now, this is very, 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 very interesting. Number one, packages wrapped in pre-printed Shoha bore film may be purchased. In other words, that is a guarantee that it comes from the factory. Packaged, wrapped in pla- packages wrapped in plain clear plastic, but bearing the colored shore bore sticker may be used. Packages wrapped in plain clear plastic and bearing only the store's white pricing, pricing label may not be used. So basically what's going on is there's repackaging going on at the store level and not every time does the consumer recognize it. That's what we heard about down in Florida in two different places, one in a store, and that's why the Star K removed Ashkocha from that particular meat, meat uh, company because they couldn't control their meats. And then they have here with the Shoha Bor. So readers, uh, listeners have to be on, you know, uh, be really aware of packaging. If you have the slightest question, call the company, call Ashkocha. Uh, but be, make sure that you're not dealing with repackaged stuff. You're going into a trafe environment in a Publix that's not a, that's not a Hamish store. 
It's not that maybe you're going to get this hashgacha versus that hashgacha. You may have treif. So if you repackaging in a store like that, forget about it. You really, really have to work and stay on top of it. The time is really gone. I'll just share with you a quickies. Now, a few quickies. There is a wine, Brunello di Montalcino, produced by Vigneto di Manciera, on behalf of Azienda Agricola Chirali from Italy. It's a very nice wine, but it has the symbols, and the rabbis are not certifying it. It's called Brunello di Montalcino. Chino's with a C. Brunello di Montalcino, that's at least how I'm pronouncing it. And Rabbi Chazan says he doesn't certify it, and Rabbi Gabrielic does not certify it, and their names are there unauthorized. The, o- the OK just gave out today two unauthorized, but one of them is huge major. The company is Ambrosia, and they make bovine collagen powder. Bovine means from meat, from beef. Collagen means from the means from the, the, the it's it's uh, from gelatin. It's from the bones, the bones of the meat. Bovine collagen powder, unauthorized. Okay on it. Eh, Ambrosia Company. Terrible, 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 terrible. These are things that go on every day. And I want to tell you, we, we're working on the next issue of the magazine, and I never ever saw as many mislabeled products as I see now. The crazy, crazy numbers are happening. And part of it has to do with COVID. Part of it has to do with something else. I don't know. I, can't, I cannot tell you. But right now, there's a slew of products that are mislabeled. I suggest if you don't get the magazine, you start reading something. You can look at kashwit.com. She, she tries to put everything up. You can do something else. But if you don't start being aware, you're going to be surprised. I'll share with you one story, and I'll, I'll end. It's back in the ninth, it's back in 1980 when we started, 1980, 81, I don't know. I, I come into, um, I come into uh, a, a store in the middle of Borough Park. I told a story at least once, so please remind me. I come in the store in the middle of Borough Park, and there's a guy buying something, and I know that it's produced by a trafer company, and I know they produce real trafe on the same machinery. And I have a flyer in the car about Kashrus. In those days, it was called Kashrus. Uh, it, was, it wasn't called Kashrus Magazine. It was called Kashrus Newsletter. And I ran out to the store with that car, grabbed the, the paper, go inside, show it to the fellow, and, he, and I say, you see, it's really not appropriate. And then the fellow behind the cash register in the middle of Borough Park leans over to this fellow and says, he, meaning me, is right. But he would sold it to the guy. He was selling in the store, and he would have sold it to the guy if I wouldn't have stopped it. It's crazy. People have to be aware. If you're not aware, I, you know, who are we going to blame? Anyway, that's it. Too much stuff here. Too much heavy, heavy, heavy things. Hopefully next week we're only going to talk about happy things, all beautiful things that just came out, new innovations, a lot of new kosher products, and everything's going to be fine. <laughs> but we have to be realistic. This is the world we live in, and there are challenges. And Baruch Hashem, uh, uh, our people take it seriously, 
That's why you're listening to the show, and I hope, I hope I'm helping in some way. So until next week, this has been your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Cautious Magazine. And if you want to reach us, you can call us at 718-336-8544 or 732-534-9363, or you can email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Until next week, I wish you all a wonderful week.